1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse number 23 is where we're starting. For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus the same night in which he was betrayed took bread. When he had given thanks, he brake it and said, Take eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and let him so eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. Amen. May God bless the reading of His Word to your hearts. You may be seated tonight. Now, I think that many of you are aware that what was going on this night to which Paul refers was actually, it was not something new that Jesus was starting. He didn't come up with something that had never been done. He was actually observing the Passover. Mark chapter 14, verse 16, if my reader is ready here tonight, Mark 14, 16, we're going to try to just go through this. Mark 14, 16. And his disciples went forth and came into the city and found as he had said unto them, and they made ready the Passover. And they made ready the Passover. Now this is Mark 14, verse 16. The Bible says they're going to celebrate Passover. Right? Right? So that's verse 16. Now we skip down just six verses later, verse 22. Let's start reading. And as they did eat, Jesus took bread and blessed it and brake it and gave to them and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank it. And he said unto them, This is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many. So what you can see is verse 16 says they were going to celebrate Passover. And then verses 22 through 24 are the verses to which Paul refers, talking about what the Lord did that we now call the Last Supper. And so what they were doing, again, was not something new. What they were doing was observing an ancient responsibility. This was something that had been commanded way back in the book of Exodus. The Old Testament Passover came about because the Israelites were freed from bondage. On that night, you'll remember, God told the Jews to take a lamb of the first year, so it's a young lamb. It has to be without spot, without blemish. Kill it. Apply the blood to the doorposts and eat the flesh. And then he said that I'm coming into the camp tonight to destroy all the firstborn. But 
you are to apply this blood to the doorpost of your house. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And that's where this term Passover came from. God was going to pass over those who applied the blood of the Lamb. Judgment would not come to them. Death would not come to them if they applied the blood of the Lamb. And so they not only escaped Egypt that night, they also escaped death. Now, God would later tell them that they were to do this forever. Exodus chapter 12, verses 12 through 14. For I will pass through the land of Egypt this night, and will smite all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And against all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. And the blood shall be to you for a token upon the houses where ye are. And when I see the blood... I will pass over you, and the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. And this day shall be unto you for a memorial, and ye shall keep it a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. Ye shall keep it a feast by an ordinance forever. You shall keep it a feast by an ordinance forever. I want to say forever. And so this was to never stop. This was to be a constant reminder to the Jews that they once were slaves. But God miraculously set them free. And it was in obedience to that command in Exodus. And in celebration of that event. That Jesus and his disciples observed what now we call the Lord's Supper. It began as Passover. Now listen, we as Gentiles do not celebrate Jewish liberation. We weren't slaves in Egypt. So we're not, we're not celebrating what they celebrated. We celebrate a different kind of liberation. We too have been spared from death. And we too have been set free from slavery. But it's not the slavery of Egypt and it's not the death of the firstborn. It's the death that comes to every soul that sins. And it's slavery from that sin or in that sin from which we are set free. And so, listen, we have been set free in greater measure than the Jews were. They spent hundreds of years in slavery. But our liberation is even greater. John 8 and 36 says this. If the Son therefore shall make you free, ye shall be free indeed. Can I tell you we are more free tonight than the Jews were when they walked across the Red Sea. We're more free than what they were when they were in the wilderness. We are more free than what they were when they crossed the Jordan and started conquering Canaan's land. We have been set free from the bondage of sin. And, and it is not a coincidence. It was the divine plan of God that Christ would be crucified at Passover. 
because he was the spotless lamb. 1 Corinthians 5 and 7. Purge out therefore the old leaven, that ye may be a new lump, as ye are unleavened. For, for even Christ our Passover is sacrificed Christ, for us. Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. Right. He was that young lamb. Yes. And he was spotless. He was without blemish. And it's his blood that sets us free. And so just as the Old Testament Passover was a time of celebrating freedom from bondage, the New Testament communion service ought to be a celebration as well. We ought to approach this thanking God that he set us free from sin. Praise God. Praise God. Now, before I get too far into that, let me, let me talk to you about something. I've, I've dealt with this a lot in my, in my teaching. But again, I want to do this for the sake of those who haven't heard. I want to tell you that God cares about symbols. He cares about symbols. When God establishes that one thing stands for something else, represents something else, God cares about that being honored. Let me show you. Numbers chapter 20, verses 7 through 12. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Take the rod, and gather thou the assembly together, uh, gather thou the assembly together, thou and Aaron thy brother, and speak unto the rock before their eyes. And it shall give forth his water, and thou shalt bring forth to them water out of the rock. So thou shalt give the congregation of their beasts to drink. Uh, drink. Now, now, let me let me just let me give you a little background here, because we don't have time to read all of the scriptures. They'd already been to this point in their wanderings once, and the children of Israel had complained that they didn't have water, and God had told Moses at that time to smite the rock. And when he smote the rock, the water came forth. Well, now they have wandered for a while, and they're back at this same point again. And once again, they have no water. And so what did God say to Moses? He said, speak ye unto the rock, and it will give forth his water. So that's the command. Just speak to it this time. The first time you smote it, but now just speak to it, and it'll provide you with the water you need. And so what happens? Verse 9. And Moses took the rod from before the Lord as he commanded him, and Moses and Aaron gathered the congregation together before the rock. And he said unto them, Hear now, ye rebels, must we fetch you water out of this rock? And Moses lifted up his hand, and with his rod he smote the rock twice. And the water came out abundantly, and the congregation drank, and their beasts also. Now, 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 this is interesting to me. God told Moses, speak to it. But Moses disobeyed. God still provided for his people. Even when Moses was wrong, God provided for his people. God didn't make his people suffer. For Moses' disobedience. But God did deal with Moses. 
And here's what he said. Verse 12. And the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron, because ye believe me not, to sanctify me in the eyes of the children of Israel. Therefore, ye shall not bring this congregation into the land which I have given them. Now, now this, is, this is what really amazes me, is Moses is mad at the children of Israel. Because they're murmuring, we don't have water. They've been to this place. They've seen God give them water before. They're standing right before this same rock. And once again, they're complaining, we don't have water. And Moses gets mad that they don't believe God. And calls them rebels because they don't believe God. But what did God say to Moses? Because you believed me not. Moses, it's not them in this case, that failed to believe. You didn't believe. Because I told you if you'd speak to it, water would come forth. And you didn't believe that, and you smote the rock. And then God, to me, gave Moses the worst, Moses and Aaron, the worst possible punishment he could have given them. You're going to lead this bunch of murmuring, complaining, griping, whining people for 40 years. And when the 40 years are over, you don't get to go in the promised land. You just have to put up with their grumbling and complaining for 40 years. You've got to deal with their problems. You've got to take all their murmurings. You're going to have to endure all of this for the entire 40 years, and then you don't get to go in. Now, that's pretty severe. And what was it over? What was it about? But what was the disobedience? Moses hit a rock. He hit a rock. Does God care about the rock? I mean, did that rock feel it when Moses hit it? A rock doesn't have any feelings. God gave Moses the worst possible punishment, not because he cared for the rock, but because that rock was a symbol. Read 1 Corinthians 10 verse 4. And did all drink the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them. And that rock was that Christ. That rock was Christ, not physically Christ, not literally Christ, but it was a symbol of Christ. And here's what we know. Christ was only smitten once. And then after he was smitten one time, now we just speak to him. And God gives us what we need. But Moses violated that symbol. And he smote the rock twice. God didn't care about the rock. God cared about the typology. The symbol. Now, now this is important and it's something we're going to deal with. Um, when I come back and I'm teaching again on, on separation, we're going to get into symbolism. We're going to talk about hair from 1 Corinthians chapter 11. When God establishes a symbol, then God cares about that. It's not a symbol that I set up. It's not, it's not some type that I create. But God creates it. 
And when God creates that type, then God looks at that differently and expects us to honor that typology. Now that's important because when we get to this time that we're about to partake of in communion, what's important about this is the symbolism involved. Now remember that that Jesus and his disciples were celebrating the Passover. And if you go back and you read in Exodus, you'll find out that at Passover there were a lot of things that they had to get. It wasn't just lamb. It wasn't just bread, I should say. Because Paul talks about the bread and the drink. But there was a lot more on that Passover table than just the bread and the drink. There was, first of all, the lamb. But then there were bitter herbs. There were other things present. But when Jesus then celebrated this last Passover, Jesus singled out only two things that were significant. And when Paul comes along and addresses it again, Paul addresses those same two things. So why don't we serve roasted lamb tonight? Because Jesus is the lamb. Right. And so we don't do we don't do everything else that they did at Passover. We don't prepare a Passover meal. Right. But what we are doing is taking the two things that Jesus and Paul set apart as significant symbols for us in this time of celebration. And the two things that they identified were the bread and the juice. Those are the two things. And here's why. Because of what the bread and the juice symbolize. Let's talk about the bread first of all. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 verse 24. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. So first of all, Jesus said, this bread represents my body. Now, we are not transubstantiationists. It's a big word. We don't believe in transubstantiation, which is a Catholic doctrine that says that when you eat that bread, it literally turns into Christ's flesh in your mouth. And they say when you drink, they serve wine. They say when you drink that wine, it literally turns into his blood. You are literally drinking blood. Now that's what they teach. We don't believe that. It's not literally his flesh and literally his blood. It's a symbol of his flesh. It represents his flesh. John chapter 6 verse 35. And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life, and he that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. So Jesus, and, and, and Brother Hilton did a great job this morning dealing with this when he preached about miracle bread, and he talked about Jesus being the bread of life. And so I don't have to go into that a whole lot, but this is the fact. Jesus had already established that he's the bread of life. And so when he breaks the bread in front of his disciples, he's saying to them, you're looking at my flesh. And my flesh has to be broken. 
They didn't take a knife and cut it into slices. They would break off pieces. And so it was broken in front of them because his body would be broken. And, and it's because this bread symbolizes his body that we use unleavened bread. Again, something that Brother Hilton dealt with. Um, but 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 6 through 8. Your glory is not good. Know ye not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump? Purge out therefore the old leaven, that ye may be a new lump, as ye are unleavened. For even Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. Therefore let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. As Brother Hilton pointed out, leaven is a type of sin or false doctrine or something wicked, hypocrisy. But leaven never carries a good connotation when it comes to symbolism and typology in the scripture. And so here, when they partook of the Passover, they used unleavened bread. It was commanded. In fact, they, they had to get all the leaven out of their house. For a solid week. They couldn't have any leaven in their house for a week. And so it had to be unleavened bread. Why? Because if leaven is a representation of sin. And the bread is a type of Christ's body. If we use leavened bread. Then we're saying he had sin in his body. But he didn't. He knew no sin. And so to keep the sin, remember God honors this symbol. And to me to just take a piece of bread that has yeast in it is to defy the symbol. And so it has to be unleavened. And then the juice is the second thing and that represents Christ's blood. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty five. After the same manner also he took the cup when he had supped saying, this cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. And so here he says that this drink represents my blood. So let me just throw this out, church. And I know this is not something that we have to deal with, but I'm telling you on social media, you see everything, you, you hear all these other things. And there are oneness apostolics that, that teach that at communion you should use wine. Now, that's up to them. I'm not throwing them under the bus. I'm not criticizing them. But I'm telling you why we don't do that here. And the reason we don't, just like we don't want leaven in the bread, the only way you can turn the fruit of the vine, which is the term, the Bible does not say they drank wine. It's called the fruit of the vine. And the only way that you can turn that juice into wine is through the process of fermentation. Which is a process of dying. It is a process that requires the natural yeast of the grape. To get into the grape. And so the only way you can have wine is it has yeast in it. Now, if we can't have yeast in our bread, why should we have yeast in the drink? 
His blood didn't have any sin. And his blood does not pr produce death. Now, interestingly, if you go back and read God's command for how they were to observe the Passover, God did not even command them to have a drink. It's not there. He doesn't tell them you have to drink this. He doesn't mention a drink. Now, it's just natural. If you're going to eat something, you're going to drink too. Right? You're going to have some liquid there. I, I, I don't know of anybody that just eats and doesn't wash it down a little bit. So they're going to have a drink, but, but it was not a part of the command until we get to the New Testament. And then Jesus put emphasis on that drink. So don't take me to the Old Testament and tell me what they did back there because that was not a part of their command. The command to use the juice is from the New Testament. That's the first time it becomes a part of this command. And here it's representing the blood of Christ which should have no death in it and no sin in it. This whole process, I could go in, I've got a lot of notes here, I'm going to skip over it, but, 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 but honestly what happens, the inward body of the grape, if it's still in its skin, it's a part of the cluster, it's pure, it's uncontaminated, when it is squeezed and crushed, there's a releasing of the pure fruit of the vine, and that would represent the pure blood of Jesus Christ. But, but once you start creating alcohol, which is in itself a deadly poison, It comes into being when the fruit of the vine is made to spoil and rot. And that's what you're saying about the blood of Christ, in my opinion, when you're using wine. Now, another reason why we don't is because of Romans 14, 13. Let us not, therefore, judge one another anymore, but judge this rather. That no man put a stumbling no man block, put a stumbling block, or an occasion, or an to, occasion fall to fall in his brother's way. In his brother's way. Now, when I first got in the church, my pastor, I remember, I remember very vividly the first communion service I was in. I was only twelve years old, about to turn thirteen, but I remember it very, very vividly uh, because this was all new to me, not having been raised in the church. It was something brand new. And he, he discussed the fact that God saved him. He called himself a wino. He said that's what he was before God saved him. And he said, I'm going to be honest with you. I haven't had a drop of it since God saved me. And he said, I don't know what it might do to me if in a communion service I picked up the cup and drank some wine again. I don't know if it would stir up those old desires and drag me back into that life. Now, it, it wouldn't affect me because I've never had that problem. But Paul said, don't put a stumbling block before your brother. And as God saves people, they come in out of this world. We don't know who that might be a stumbling block to. Furthermore, I, I don't know what that 
cashier thinks when a one God apostolic preacher buys a bottle of Mogan David or whatever it is. I assume Mogan David because that sounds Jewish to me. I don't know. It's but but how, how do they not think ill? Anyhow, another subject some other time. So let's, let's talk, and I, I'm trying. I really am trying to get through this. But, but let's talk about the timing of it. How often should we take communion? Um, Paul doesn't give us a frequency. But here's what he does say. 1 Corinthians 11 verse 26. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he come. So here's what he said. He said, however often you do it, just keep doing it till the Lord comes. He didn't say how often. I will tell you, I know of a particular denomination fact more than one that they do it every service or at least every Sunday now to me it would become so commonplace that it has no real significance and no real meaning and so I don't think we ought to just do it every time we come together But I do want to tell you, I don't think it, it can only be done once a year either. I think we can do it whenever. In fact, I've, I've told you before, my pastor had this philosophy. When he ran into real serious church problems because of the effectiveness of communion, he, he couldn't figure out where the problem was coming from. He would just, we'd show up for church one night and he'd say, we're taking communion tonight. And he didn't give them weeks of advance notice. He just figured you're going to get right tonight. And if you don't, God's going to deal with it. He honestly, he told us, he said, you ought to live your life in such a way I could knock on your door unannounced with a communion tray in my hand. And you wouldn't have to go find a bedroom somewhere and pray. We could just take communion and enjoy the presence of the Lord. He said, that's the way we ought to live. Listen, God's not going to give us a three-week notice that he's coming back. He's not going to give us a three-hour notice. He's not going to teach us an hour and a half lesson before he sounds the trumpet. We're just supposed to live in a way that we're ready. And can I tell you that the Apostle Paul was far more concerned with how we observe it than he was how often we observe it. Let's look at this, 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-seven. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. Now, everyone say unworthily. unworthily. Please notice that is not unworthy. Now, again, going back to that first communion service I was in as a 12-year-old boy, about to turn 13, I'd prayed through in February of 72. This was watch night of 72. So in January, three weeks after 
our New Year's service, I was going to turn 13, all right? So I was right there on the verge of becoming a teenager. But I remember that communion service. And, and I not only remember him talking about having been a wino, but the other thing was I remember him reading this verse of Scripture and me sitting there thinking, dear God, I'm not worthy. And so I didn't take communion that day. I, I, I sat there and thought, there's no, I'm not worthy. I don't deserve this. I can't take communion. And nobody explained to me that the word is not unworthy. It's not an adjective to describe us. It's an adverb to describe the action. Do you understand the difference? Unworthily means irreverently or carelessly. Has nothing to do with whether you're worthy because none of us are worthy. None of us could qualify. If God had a list of qualifications, here's the ones that are good enough to take communion. Sorry. We'd be wasting our time even having a service tonight. But that's not what he's focused on. It's not whether we're worthy. It's whether we're doing this irreverently or carelessly. It's not a question of merit. It's a question of outlook. If we know that there are sins in our life we don't want to repent of, we know there are things there that we don't want to get straight but yet we come to take communion, then we are not giving the proper respect to the Lord's body and His blood. Because there's no sin in His body and His blood. Now that doesn't mean we've lived a sinful life all year long. What that does mean is we've put whatever we've done wrong under the blood. We've asked for forgiveness. And the Bible tells us that he is faithful and just to forgive. And so before we approach the Lord's table, we ask God for forgiveness for whatever we've done wrong. We get those things right. If we've got a brother or sister we need to make things right with, we go get them right with them. But it's as simple as that. I'll be honest with you. I, I spent a lot of years really looking at communion service as something negative. And part of that, and I'm not blaming my pastor, but part of it was because this is the way my pastor approached it. And, and he would tell us that communion is God's way of sweeping the church. And that's the way he presented it. And that's why if there were church problems and he couldn't seem to get them solved, he'd take communion because he knew communion would solve them. God would sort it out. But unfortunately, in my mind, that started making communion really something negative to me. That we use this as a cleansing agent to get rid of problems. But there's really such a positive side to it. And that's what I want to focus on. We, we can't overlook the negative side. So that's why he said, read verse 27 again, 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-seven. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily, 
shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. So if, if, you're, if you're doing this irreverently, you're doing this carelessly, you're guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. You're bringing sin into his body and blood. And then what does he say in verses 29 and 30? For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily, eateth and drinketh damnation to himself. They eat and drink damnation to themselves. Not discerning the Lord's body. Because they don't discern this is... God honors this symbol. All right. This is important to God. And so he says in verse 30. For this cause, many are because weak. Because of this. What cause is he talking about? That people have eaten and drinking unworthily. Right. Because they did it carelessly, many, what happened to them? Many are weak They're and weak. sickly among They're you. sickly. And many sleep. And, and the word sleep here is a reference to death. He said there's a lot of judgment in the house because you wouldn't deal with sin before you took communion. Now, again, church, I don't want anybody to look at this like, dear God, God's going to smite me dead if I take communion tonight. No. Ask God to forgive you. Ask him to forgive whatever's going on in your life. You're struggling with something? Listen, I want you to hear me, and, and I'm going to talk about this more in a moment, but if you're struggling with something, you can get deliverance in a communion service. Right. Amen. God can give you victory in a communion service if you'll approach the Lord's table properly. If you'll do it with the right attitude and the right spirit, God can give you victory. So this shouldn't be something you dread and something you fear. It ought to be something you look forward to. I'm going to get victory tonight. We'll talk about some more things that can happen as a result of this. So I, I don't want us to look at this strictly as negative. Remember, its predecessor, the Passover, was a celebration. Yes, there was death, but only for those that didn't have the blood applied. So apply the blood and live. Let's consider this. The work of the broken body. 1 Corinthians 11 verse 24. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. Now listen, why was his body broken? What was the purpose of his body being broken for us? 1 Peter 2.24 gives us the answer. Who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sins, should live under righteousness, by whose stripes by ye are healed. Whose stripes ye were what? What? Do you know why his body was broken? For our healing. That's why it was broken. So when we come. And there's a tray full of broken bread. It speaks to us. There's healing in that tray. That's why he went through what he went through. I'm telling you tonight. I'm telling you tonight. I feel this so strong in my spirit. You can get healing when you take communion tonight. If there is a sickness, if there's a disease, if there's a, an ailment, if there is, is something going on in your body, in your mind, in your spirit. Some people need healing emotionally. 
Some people need healing mentally. Some people need healing spiritually. And others need it physically. But I'm telling you, it's all in the broken body of our Lord. There's healing power in communion. Oh, I feel it tonight. I'm telling you, I feel it tonight. I feel it tonight. And I've seen God do it. I've seen God bring healing. I remember, I remember years ago in my home church in Dallas, and I don't think he would mind me telling you who it was, Brother McFall, who comes to our SOAR conference. His mother, um, this was not long after Brother Davis had become the pastor of that church. And he got up and was teaching on communion on a Sunday morning because we were taking communion that night. And Sister McFall, um, this is the elder, this is Brother McFall's mom, she believed in what was called spiritual communion. And, and so she, she didn't believe that you literally take communion. She believed it was just some spiritual activity that went on. And, and so Brother Davis, I mean, he's teaching, he's teaching, he's, te- he's coming down on it. And she finally couldn't take it anymore. Now, she obviously, he hadn't been there very long. She didn't know him. Or she had never done this. She stood up in that service. And she said, Brother Davis, everybody in this church knows I don't take communion. I believe it's just spiritual. Now, Brother Davis... Being who he was, he said, church, let's stand and pray for Sister McFall. She's going to hell. If you don't take communion, you're lost, he said. And she's lost and we need to pray for her. Well, her son started talking to her that afternoon. because She wasn't real happy. But he started talking to her that afternoon. He said, Mom, why don't you try it? Why don't you just try it and see what happens? Just be obedient to the man of God and see what takes place. Well, Sister McFall had had trouble walking. She had a a bone spur on her heel. And she couldn't hardly get around. But that night, she decided to go ahead and take communion. And Brother Hall, when she took communion... God healed that bone spur and took it away completely. And she danced all over the front of the church. Can I tell you, she became a believer that night. No more spiritual communion for her. She saw what God could do in the actual taking of communion. And I'm telling somebody here tonight, if you've got a physical ailment, you've got something going on, you ought to approach the Lord's table with faith and say, God, I'm believing. Your broken body was for my healing. I'm going to get healing tonight. What else goes on during communion? Well, look, it's not just the bread, but there is the juice, the fruit of the vine. What is that for? 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-five. After the same manner also he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. Now, this is the New Testament in my blood. Why was his blood shed? Well, Matthew 26, 28 gives us the answer to that. 
For this is my blood of the New Testament. This is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed, which is for, shed many for many for the remission for of the sins. remission of sins. This is what his blood was shed for. This is why I'm telling you, if you've done something wrong, if there's something in your life, if you'll come to the table of the Lord, you can come and believe that the moment you drink that juice, there's forgiveness there. That's why he shed his blood. He doesn't want you living under the cloud of guilt. He wants you to know he is willing to forgive and he's able to do it because he shed his blood to buy your forgiveness. Oh, hallelujah. Praise God. Amen. You can find forgiveness in communion. Hallelujah. You don't have to be perfect to take communion, you just have to be repentant. Hallelujah. Think about the impact of his sacrificial death. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 26. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till you he show, comes. You show what? The Lord's death. The Lord's death. The Lord's death. Now, what is his death all about? His death was to show us his love. 1 John 3.16. 1 John 3.16. Hereby perceive we the love this of God. This is how we know God loves us. Because he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Listen to me. When we take communion, it's a reminder of just how much God loves us. We're looking at a symbol of a body that was broken and blood that was shed. Why? Why? Why did he do it? Because he loves us. That's why. I'm telling you, if the devil's got you convinced you're not loved, the devil's got you convinced that, that you God doesn't want anything to do with you, I'm telling you, when you walk up to the Lord's table, you look right at that and you tell the devil, devil, you're a liar. He loved me enough that his body was broken and his blood was shed. And that was for me. That was for me. Do you understand that when we take communion, we are ingesting the sacrificial death of the Lamb? We are taking the love of God into our innermost being. And you ought to feel His love like never before. Both the love of God to you and the love of God through you to others. When we take communion, we are ingesting the shed blood. We are taking Christ's forgiveness into our innermost being. Listen, there's no need to be baptized a second time. Yeah, you made mistakes. Yes, you've done things wrong. But you take communion. You approach repentant. I'm telling you, God forgives you. Amen. His blood washes away every sin. That's why I'm telling you, you can find deliverance in communion. If you, you say, preacher, I've just struggled and struggled and struggled with this. I'm telling you, take communion tonight. Ask God to forgive you and then come in faith and believe God that when you do, he's going to set you free. That's what communion's all about. That's what Passover was all about. It was about liberty. It was about freedom. Uh, 
Hallelujah. I want my wife to come. We should expect deliverance. We should expect forgiveness. We should expect healing. Yes. When we partake of that bread and partake of that juice, we are ingesting his broken body. We're taking healing into our innermost being. We're taking forgiveness into our innermost being. We are taking love into our innermost being. Communion ought to be something we look forward to. Something we get excited about. Because we're going to leave this service different than we came. This is one of the reasons why I think it's a good thing. And, 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 and I guess this is why for years it was a common thing among apostolic churches to have a watch night service, to do a New Year's Eve service. I think part of it was because, look, if you really understand what's going on in foot washing and communion... You talk about being able to start the new year right. Yes. Laying everything in the past behind, getting it all covered by the blood, and just going forth into a new year strong and vibrant, on fire, set free from anything that's got you bound, forgiven of anything that's been haunting your conscience. Now I, I know, I know that a lot of a lot of people do it uh, during the Easter time, and I understand because that's Passover time. That's when Jesus did it, and that may be when we do it our next time. It's right around Passover time. Um, but but to me, it, it's not about whether we do it then or when we do it. It's it's about understanding the beauty. And the power behind what we are participating in. Recognizing what a privilege God has granted to us. In allowing us to do that. Praise God. Amen. Let's stand. I want my wife to play. Brother Hilton, if, if you would go. And Brother uh, Mays, you're here. You could, you could help. There's a, the trays are back there. We could, and if you would just bring them down here in front of the, the pulpit. Um, this a lot of different ways uh, no if, if you would just hold it there we're getting ready to, to line up and, and come we've done it a lot of different ways through the years uh, we've done it where the moment you receive it then you take it right then as you're going through the line we're kind of up against the clock right now Got 23 minutes I think that I think it'd be good if we would just come through, get it, but hang on to it until you get back to your pew or if you want to stay around the front or whatever. Um, and then let's all just take it together. And, and as we do, let's, let's remember the things that I've told you. Let's remember what God's doing and let's expect healing, forgiveness, deliverance, Whatever you need, 
It's in his body and in his blood. So if, if you want to partake, if you would come and, and to my right, to your left, if you'd line up right here. Um, let's just let's form a line and then we'll, we'll go around that wall as, as we need to. That's it, Brother Hall. Come on. Just stand right there. And if, if you want to, um, yeah, just... And just hang on to it till everybody's had a chance to receive it. So the Bible says that Jesus took bread and blessed it and break it and gave it to the disciples and he said, take eat, this is my body. Why don't you take his body now and 
and take it. And he took the cup and he gave thanks and gave it to them saying, drink ye all of it. For this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. And let's drink it.